This morning we are going to be um, mostly in Luke chapter 23. Uh, if you've been with us, uh, you know that we're working our way towards uh, the cross, uh, the Easter story. We're kind of going through it uh, slowly, I guess you'd say, as we work our way through Luke 22, 23, and 24. Uh, we've already begun kind of the, the Easter story proper uh, with Jesus being arrested and then Jesus coming before the religious authorities. And now begins the sequence where Jesus is before the Roman authorities. Uh, last week, we saw the religious leaders. They came to the point of, of deciding, yes, this, this, uh, this false prophet, they would say, he deserves death. Uh, but because of the political climate at the time, they couldn't, they couldn't actually put him to death. Uh, they uh, didn't have the power. They were under Roman rule, and the Romans were the only ones. They said, we're the only ones who could put anyone to death. So uh, the religious leaders then had to take Jesus to come and see Pilate, uh, who was the governor of the area. So let's read that little bit first. Uh, this is verses 23, uh, sorry, chapter 23, verses 1 to 5. And the whole company of them arose and brought him, brought Jesus before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. So we'll pause there. Uh, it's pretty clear right from the start that Pilate is not very impressed uh, with their charges, with the accusations against Jesus. Uh, he uh, doesn't even deal with two of the charges that the religious leaders bring. The, the issue of king, he asks Jesus. Jesus says, yeah, I'm the king of the Jews. And right away, Pilate says, like, I find no guilt. There's no, from a Roman point of view, there's no reason to put this man to death. But the religious leaders, they will not have it. They keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Uh, the pressure is going to mount to the point that Pilate is going to have to make a decision with regards to Jesus. Uh, but first, uh, he has an idea. Like any good uh, public official, he sees the opportunity uh, to not make a difficult decision and to pass it off to someone else. Uh, this is always wise if you are uh, in power. And he realizes, you know, Jesus is from Galilee. And, and that means he's under Herod's jurisdiction. And so maybe I can push Jesus off and have Herod make the decision because this looks like a pretty thorny issue. And so that's what we see in verses six and seven. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that uh, he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. So it worked out well, right? Send it over to Herod. Now, uh, a few things about Herod. This is Herod Antipas. Uh, there's like a coin that he had made of himself, which they all did. Um, there's a lot of Herods in the Bible. This is not Herod the Great. This is his son, Herod Antipas. He was ruler of Galilee. Uh, he's a fairly major political figure at the time. But in terms of the Easter story, he's not like a major character. Uh, most of the time, we don't refer to him much at all. Because as, as we'll see, when we get to the scene between him and Jesus, nothing really happens. There's not even really a conversation. Uh, two of the Gospels don't even mention Herod. Uh, the biggest addition that Herod uh, makes to the Easter story is that uh, Pilate is able to say uh, of Jesus, look, 
Um, even Herod didn't find any guilt in him. That's kind of the major contribution is that Herod says the same thing as, as Pilate. So most of the time we kind of either uh, just brush past Herod or kind of rush past him to focus on Pilate because most of the meaty interaction uh, in this trial period is between Jesus and Pilate. And we are going to look at Pilate in depth next week. Uh, but in my reading, in my studying, one of the commentators, Ken Hughes, uh, he pointed out some really helpful insights that we can gain about the human conscience if we look at Herod, uh, if we zoom out and look at kind of the fullness of what we know about Herod. Not just in the scene with him and Jesus, but uh, prior scenes uh, with him and John the Baptist. Because there are certain things that are revealed about Herod's heart, what seems to be a stirring of conscience, and then things change when we get to him and Jesus. So that's what I want to do this morning. I think it'll be helpful. We're going to look at Herod's conscience. We're going to start in Mark 6. And, um, and this is the first point. There's three points, basically about conscience. Here's the first one. God has given everyone a conscience. Uh, and it's for good purposes. It's because he loves us. So, a little bit more about Herod. In case you weren't aware, uh, Herod was a real piece of work. I mean, he was, he was something else. Uh, here's what we, in Mark 6, verse 17, here's what we read about Herod. Uh, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John, uh, John the Baptist, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, right? Big uh, surprise. Uh, so here's the thing about Herod. Here's what happened. Uh, Herod was married to another woman. Herodias was married to uh, Herod's brother, Philip. And then uh, Herod went to stay with them for a period of time, like for a week or something they were visiting. And during that time, Herod and Herodias, his sister-in-law, they fell in love or whatever it looks like love for them. And so they decided to divorce their respective spouses and get married to each other. And they thought everyone would be fine with this, which of course, not, no one was fine with this. His brother wasn't fine with it. He went to war against his brother, started a war. They had to get uh, Rome, I think, to settle things down between them. Uh, everyone was uh, upset. But Herod Antipas, he didn't care. Herodias didn't seem to care. They got married. They stayed together. But John the Baptist... He, he called him out publicly. He started saying that you should not have your brother's wife. Um, and uh, side note, Herodias wasn't just his sister-in-law. Uh, she was also his niece in some weird way. This is a weird family. So this is wrong on lots of levels. He didn't, he didn't seem to care. And so uh, the reason I point that out is you would think that if there was anyone who wouldn't be troubled by their conscience, you'd think it would be someone like Herod Antipas. And yet, what we find out when we read a little bit more through Mark is that when he has John in prison, he begins to talk with John. He begins to listen to him. Can't imagine what John was saying other than, you're evil, you're horrible, you should stop doing what you're doing. And yet, Herod wanted to keep uh, listening to him. And more than that, Herodias, right, his new wife, wanted uh, John put to death. She didn't like this guy, right? He kept pointing out all of their sin, and yet Herod, he wouldn't put him to death. So here's how it reads uh, the next few verses, verse 19 of Mark 6. And Herodias had a grudge against him, against John, and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. 
So some interesting uh, kind of uh, tidbits there, right? He, he feared John. I think that's a hallmark of, of a provoked conscience. There's generally a sense of, of fear from some moral authority. I think of when you're a kid, right? What, when you break something and you know your parents are coming home, what do you, you're, there's a stirring in your conscience. You're feeling anxious. Why? Because you know they're going to come home and you've done something wrong. You're going to get in trouble for it. Uh, that, that usually is associated with our conscience, that we have this sense of we've done wrong and, and we kind of know. We feel guilty. So Herod seems to be feeling this. That's why he's not killing John. Certainly would have been a lot easier to kill John. Certainly would have made his wife happier, which is probably not a fun thing to come home every day. Herodias is there, right? Did you do it? Did you? I gave you a to-do list. Kill John. That was on the top of the list. And you didn't do it again, right? It's never good to have a wife who's unhappy. Herodias, I'm sure, wasn't a peach when she was, you know, unhappy. And yet, even with all that pressure, John was, uh, Herod, you can tell, was there is something holding him back. Where he knew, he was fearful. He knew it wouldn't be a good thing uh, to do. So even though Herod was a man with a lot of power, seems clear he understands there is, there is some sort of higher power. And, he, and he's fearful. I think that's a mark of a, of a provoked conscience. You add to that uh, what it says there about him being greatly perplexed. Uh, that kind of makes sense, I think, because if he's someone who is uh, uh, in habitual sin, in darkness, uh, I mean, killing people is not a big deal for him. I mean, he's in a lot of, a lot of sin and darkness and turmoil. It, it would be perplexing to hear someone like John speak the truth. Speak about the, the beauty of God, the rightness of God, the moral, you know, uh, rightness of God. All of that would have, would have been perplexing. It, but it says, he heard him gladly. Which again, I think is a mark of, of our conscience. Right? When we have a sense of a little bit of fear of we're either doing the wrong thing or we might do the wrong thing. But then there's also, there's this tug towards the right thing. And that's why there's this tension uh, within us. Right? Where we, we're, that's the whole point of the conscience. God gave it to us to lead us right, into good and right things. And, and what we find in the Bible is that ev- everyone has a conscience, that God has wired us this way in a sense. Um, Romans 2 is a, a part of the Bible where uh, Paul is talking about uh, human beings and the law of God and kind of a relationship with the law of God, and conscience comes up. So here's how uh, Paul writes it, uh, 2.14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So these are not Jews. They don't have the Ten Commandments, but they're still acting according to the Ten Commandments. Why, why is that? Well, it says um, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so it's a picture of the human conscience, that even if we... We don't know God's law per se. There's, there's an innate sense of moral uh, rightness and wrongness that we all have, uh, that we respond to. That kind of is, is designed to lead us in the, in the right direction. Now, I think you might uh, say that conscience, human consciences are kind of like human hearts, like the physical heart. And by that, I mean, we all have a heart, but there are some, like some of us take better care of our hearts than others. Some of us exercise, some of us eat well, some of us are marathon runners, and so our heart's like pumping like crazy, right? Like oxygenated blood, I mean, we're ready to go. Others of us are not so much, 
right? We watch sports on TV. We eat a lot of fatty foods. And so we have a heart, but it's like, it's just barely pumping the blood, right? And it's not really tip top. I think that can be the same with our conscience. So there's some of a finely tuned conscience, know the law of God doing it. And there's others like Herod, where it's, it's, ba- barely, it's there, but it's barely functioning. There's a glimmer of light. And, and so it's, it's shining and he's feeling it. And yet it's not the same. And so he's perplexed by it, right? He's not quite sure what this means, but clearly there's a tension going on. And the whole point of this that we need to understand is that the troubled conscience is a good thing. God has designed our conscience to help us to move in the right direction, away from sin, towards holiness, away from evil, towards good, away from darkness, towards light. And so even though Herod would not have been able to fully articulate what was going on, he felt that tug and he was doing the right thing for a while, even under some opposition and pressure from his wife. This tells us a couple of things. First thing I think it tells us is that there is no heart so dark that the light of God cannot shine within it. This is good for us to know because I, I think a lot of times, uh, maybe, maybe in thinking of ourselves or maybe thinking of others, we think, oh, they're, like, they're too far gone. They're, they're too steeped in sin. They're, they're too, uh, whatever, too used to evil or, or wrong or darkness. And they'll never, they'll never come back to the light. And yet we see here there is light that can shine. And in fact, God is in the habit of bringing light to shine in the hearts of, of dark human beings. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is what always happens. That we are darkened in our sin, our hard hearts, and yet... And yet by the grace of God, there's light that shines and then we are able to respond. But that's, that's the rub. That's the thing. When light does shine, we, we feel this tension. We feel this unsettledness and, and we have to respond. And a lot of the times we don't like it. You, you know what I mean? We don't like a trouble. We don't like it when our stomach is, oh, it's churning. We know this right thing we should do. We don't feel like we should do it. We're... We're feeling what? We're feeling like there, we, have to, we have to respond. We have to make a choice. Uh, and that's, that's what we see with Herod. In fact, this is our second point. That we all have to make a choice. And the choice is either to step back into the darkness or to step further into the light. Right? To step to farther away from God or to move closer to God. Now, the specific choice is, is going to be different. Depends on uh, the person, depends on the situation. For all of us, we have multiple different choices, but it all comes down to essentially the same thing. There's, there's a moral quality to this choice. There's a spiritual quality to this choice. Are we going to continue to do the thing that is contrary to the word of God, uh, that we, we feel wrong about, we feel guilty about, and yet we haven't been able to stop? Are we going to start doing something? We know we should do, but we don't want to do it. We're, we're worried about it. We're scared uh, we feel uncomfortable, whatever it is, and yet we know God wants us to. There's these, this tension within us. And our conscience is part of that. The Spirit of God is also part of it, a little different, but the Spirit often uses our conscience to provoke within us a sense of, of doing right, of, of walking towards the light. Probably you all know, to some degree, what I'm talking about, what Herod was experiencing. 
that sense of uh, that, that not being settled, right? Not being at peace with things. And a lot of times it really frustrates us. There's been seasons of my life where I've felt that stirring of my conscience and I've just shoved it down deep because I didn't want to respond to it. I, I, I kind of knew what God was there. I didn't want to stop the sin I was doing. I didn't want to examine myself. So I would just, just eat it, just stuff it. And um, what I noticed is that it, you don't hear it as much after a while. And I just kept ignoring, kept ignoring, kept ignoring. As I look back, at the time I didn't know this, as I look back though, um, it's, it's very clear that that was also a time when my spiritual life was like going in the, in the toilet. Like it was plateauing, it was tanking. Because those two things go together, right? As you harden your conscience, as, as you are okay with sin, you're gonna be distant from God. You're not gonna go in your faith. And that, that would have kept going, I think, for me, apart from the, the grace of God. It's always what happens. That God overcame my reluctance simply through the power of his spirit, just, just convicting me in a way that I could not ignore. And, and when I finally did confess my sin, was honest, was that then all of a sudden, my, my, if I look back, things really began to grow with me spiritually. Because again, the two are kind of connected, but there's a choice. That's, that's sort of the point. There's a choice to make. And the choice, it always has pressures and, and consequences. Uh, for Herod, this choice came in a, in a public way, which always makes it uh, more difficult. Uh, if you know the story, Herod uh, was throwing himself a big birthday party, and uh, it was, a, as you might imagine, this drunken, uh, debauchery-filled thing where everyone was there drinking and partying, and, uh, and his wife, Herodias, sent her daughter, her teenage daughter, into dance for all the men, which is horrible. That's what they did. And so uh, her daughter danced and pleased Herod. He was full of wine, full of himself. And so he, he made an oath. He said, whatever you would like, uh, up to half my kingdom, this is what the rulers would say to show how great they were, right? Whatever you want, ask me anything and I will give it to you. So Herodias saw an opportunity, right? Remember, she wanted John the Baptist dead. So she said to her daughter, go and, go and ask for John the Baptist, his head. That's what we should ask for. So here's, here's how it plays out. Verse 25. And she came in immediately, this is the daughter, with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. This is in front of everyone. And the king was exceedingly sorry. So notice, there's still something in him, right? Even in his drunken, whatever stupor, he, he knows this is, not what he, this is not right, this is not good, this is not what he wants to do. And there's a choice, there's a pressure. But look at, look at the things that are pushing him from the, the other way. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. He didn't want to look stupid. He didn't want to look weak. He didn't want a word to get around. He's someone who goes back on his word. And so that, that pressure carried the day. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother, which is crazy. This shows us in detail the, the tension and complexity of making a moral choice with our conscience involved. You probably know some of these choices. We don't, we don't want to do it. It's not a good thing to do, but there's peer pressure. There's something. We're, we fear what might happen if we don't do it. And so instead of responding to the light, instead of responding to the thing we know to be good and true and right, we do the other thing. 
We harden ourselves to what God has revealed. And we step further into darkness. What Herod didn't realize, and this is what I want us to kind of understand about this kind of choice, is that that choice he made, was, it was not really about John's life, like it was, obviously. But from Herod's point of view, it was really about his life. It was about what would rule over his life. Would it be darkness or would it be light? Would he respond to the stirring of his conscience, to, to whatever that was that he knew to be right and true, or, or would he harden himself to it? And sadly, we, we see that he hardened himself, that he turned his back on that. And, and he lived with the consequences for the rest of, uh, I think, eternity. Here's our third point. We should respond to our conscience uh, before it's too late. I think we see the full effects of Herod's choice when he finally meets uh, Jesus. You would think if his conscience was stirred when he met John, who was a prophet of God, right? And the words of John were like, they're stirring. You'd think that then when he would be able to talk to Jesus, that he would be really stirred. That whatever light was shining within him, that it would come out fully and he would really respond. But that's not what we see at all. What we see uh, when he's speaking with Jesus is that there's no sense of uh, response. It's like he's dead to, to Jesus. Um, in fact, he treats Jesus like a clown. He, he treats him like, like a sideshow. He wants signs, like, like party tricks. He dresses him up. It's horrible. Uh, let's, let's go back to our kind of main text. Starting in verse 8, we'll read the rest. So when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day for before this they'd been at enmity with with each other. I would just say you can only have that level of contempt for Jesus if you have a very hard heart. If, you, if your conscience is, is totally cold, totally dead. And what it's important for us to see is that uh, the first decision led to this. Like Herod turning his back on his conscience led him to think little of Jesus. Led him to, to mock Jesus. What we need to understand is that these moral choices that we make, especially when we feel a, a voice or a provocation, like we're feeling a sense of this, this is the right thing to do, and we don't do it, we, we put ourselves on a pathway that is going further and further away from, from God. We shouldn't be fooled into thinking that our sin is no big deal or, or that that churning in our stomach is like a small thing. It's, it's not a small thing. It's everything. It's, it's the voice of God speaking into your mind, into your heart, pulling you away from a path to destruction. It's the whole point that God loves us. He gave us a conscience that we would, even apart from any revelation of the, of the law, we would know what is right and wrong and we'd be able to respond to it. And then even more so when the spirit of God is given to, to reveal the truths of, of Christ, then we can respond to him. Herod had an opportunity. He had a chance to respond, but he didn't take it. He killed an innocent man. 
And so when he met Jesus, it was already too late. Like there, was, there seemed to be no interest even in the good. No taste for light or for truth. And the Bible says this can happen to any one of us. That this is a, a danger that we put ourselves in if we keep hardening ourselves to our conscience, keep ignoring our conscience. Uh, here's how Paul says it in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So you have this picture of those who are devoting themselves like continually to the things of darkness, the works of darkness, to evil, to sin, and the result is a searing, like a hardening of the conscience, which is meant to be soft, meant to be sensitive, meant to be morally sensitive to the things in our lives to guide us. So that we think and pray about a certain action, we can get a sense of, well, oh, it doesn't feel right. That's a, that's a good thing. But if, if we're always doing the wrong thing, then it, we're never going to feel it anymore. And not only are we not going to be very moral people or spiritual people, those with a seared conscience, the, the worst thing is that we're severed from the grace of God. That it leads us to a place of, of ultimate judgment, divine judgment. To which you, you might say, like, well, what do you mean by judgment? Like, do you mean like a, light, like a lightning bolt, right? That God's going to see me making all of these decisions against him and eventually zap me? And the answer is maybe. Uh, Herod's brother, that's what happened to him. Herod's brother's name is Herod. I don't know why. <coughs> His family. Uh, but look what happened to him in Acts 12. On an appointed day, Herod, the other Herod, put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the, the voice of a God, not of a man. So this was Herod's brother, Herod, receiving all these adulation and worship, like he's a God. He wants it. And what happens? Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I'm not sharing this... Uh, because I necessarily think this might happen to us. It's probably not that likely. It doesn't seem like God works th this way, but because we should be clear, there, is, there are consequences when we harden our hearts, when we turn away from our conscience. But we don't see them right away. That, that's the deceitful thing about the sinful world and, and, our, and our twisted hearts is that we can make these kind of decisions and it doesn't seem like anything happens that's that bad. In fact, that, that's more what happened to Herod Antipas, the one we were, we're talking about. He, he ridiculed Jesus, mocked him, treated him with contempt, sent him off, right, dressed in robes. Uh, and then what happened? He, not, nothing. There's no lightning bolt. He just went about his day. In fact, if you look at historically, he lived the rest of his life, he had a pretty good life. Uh, there's some, some bad things, like he was exiled for a while with his wife. That probably was not fun. But then other times... He, he got a position of power, and uh, I don't think he was troubled much at all. I, I doubt very much that he thought about John the Baptist very much, or Jesus very much. He probably just lived. He lived to the ripe old age of 43, which was pretty good back then. And, uh, and he probably just died thinking that everything was fine, except when he died, he was stepping headlong into divine judgment that he didn't even probably know was coming. Why? Because he had stopped listening 
Because when the opportunity was there for him to respond to this light, whatever it was, and, and to follow his conscience, he didn't do it. And in the end, he ended up under the judgment of God. See, this is, this is the real danger and the real tragedy. And this is a danger for any one of us. I remember meeting with a, uh, a man uh, years ago. I was meeting with him, meeting with his wife. They're having troubles. And I had been talking to him a lot about some of his sin that I didn't, I didn't think he could really see. And, and so we talked a bunch about it, some of his pride, some of his neglectfulness, all these types of things. And I, I didn't know that we were really getting very far. But he texted me one time and said, hey, can we meet? I said, sure. And, uh, and so we met. And, and he was just like visibly kind of uh, broken, like he was just really kind of, I said, what's going on? He said, oh man, I, I've, been, I've been praying and I've been reading through the Psalms. I've been asking God to show me my sin. And like, and it's just, it's so clear. He started talking about all the things that, that we sort of had talked about, but that, that things I didn't know, that God was showing him. He's like, I can't believe what I've done. I can't believe how I've, he's just going on and on about all his sin. He's weeping and he's, and he's broken and he's like apologizing to me. And he's he just, I said, this I said, this is a good thing, actually. This is, this is what we've been wanting, that God would show you these things. You, you, now you need to respond. Go home to your wife and, and confess and, and tell her these things and see what God will do. He's like, yeah, you're right. I know I got I to gotta do this. And so we prayed together and he went off. And I remember going home and telling Don, like, this is amazing. God is doing, like, he's this man is feeling conviction. And so I met up with him again in, in a few weeks and we sat down, it was very different. Like he was very kind of cold. And I asked him how things were going and he started listing some things, troubles, difficulties. And, and after a while I said, well, hang on a sec. Like, it seems like this is very different. Last time you were telling me about your sin and you were saying you were gonna respond. And he's like, yeah, but then this happened and this happened and you don't know what she did here. I was like, yeah, but God showed you. What about all those things? No, that's not that. This is the thing. This, here's the problem. She's the problem. You're so angry. I said, what happened? He's like, I'm not worried about that stuff. This is, and his whole demeanor shifted. I don't know what happened, but what was very clear is he was not open to whatever God had revealed to him prior. He was completely hard. And, and he went forward hard, didn't save his marriage. And, I, and at this point, I don't know that, like I worry about his soul. That, that's the kind of thing that happens to us. That God, he reveals himself. He reveals things that we need to know about ourselves, but we need to respond. We, we, need to, we need to see clearly. We need to admit. We need to see what he's revealing and then respond. Otherwise, it could, it could be too late, is what I'm saying. The scariest thing about that interaction with Jesus and Herod is that Jesus had nothing to say to Herod. Like he was standing there. Think of all the people that Jesus had something to say to. He spoke to Judas he spoke to the religious leaders over and over again, always trying to provoke them, trying to, he was always, why? Because he wanted to draw them in with, with Herod, nothing. If you're in a place where you don't hear the voice of God, where like God is not speaking, you, you should be very concerned. You should get on your knees. That's what Herod should have done. Please, please speak to me. I, I, I need to hear from you. The danger that we face is that we can, we can turn away from our conscience so often that we just, we become deaf, become so hardened that, that we don't even hear it anymore and we think it's fine. Herod thought it was fine. He was joking. He was laughing. This man that I meant to, he thought it was fine too. 
and they're both in great peril. The Bible always warns us about hardening our hearts. Here's Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. The emphasis there is on the today. Right? Today, if you, if you hear something. Today, if you feel a string of your conscience. Today's the day to respond. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. You don't know. You don't know if you keep hardening your heart, if maybe there's a point where then you don't hear anything anymore. And you forget that you were even stirred. You forget that there is even something to deal with. And you go on blindly, not realizing you're going down a path that leads in your destruction. The whole point of our conscience is that we would be unsettled when we are in sin, that, that we would feel this tension. The whole point of the Spirit of God was sent to, to reveal these things to us so that we wouldn't be okay that we would, we would feel unsettled. We hate it. We don't want it. There's an answer, though, a better answer than just stuffing it down deep. The answer is that we would respond and confess. This is what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the resolution that we need. That, that's what Jesus was doing there in front of Herod, why he was standing there taking on all the abuse because he was on his way to the cross so that he would atone for our sin, so that he would make a way for all of his people, regardless of, of how hard our hearts are, how dark, that we can turn and we can experience forgiveness. We can experience genuine peace, not a false peace that comes because we've just turned a deaf ear, but a genuine sense of peace where we're open to whatever God is gonna reveal to us and we respond in humility, receiving grace, and where God grows us. God, God increases our capacity to know him and to love him and to love others. This is what God wants for us. This is the, the whole purpose of why he's created us in this way with his conscience as moral, spiritual beings. So what I thought we'd do, uh, just to end our time, we're gonna move into a time of response, but um, I thought it'd be good just to to make a bit of space just for us to examine ourselves. Uh, I'm going to invite the band to, to come up, but then I'm just going to lead us in prayer. I think a lot of times we feel something stirring, but it's easier to move on. Uh, it's, it's, it's easier to ignore it and to go on and have lunch and then forget about it, to not have the conversation, to not do any business with the Lord. And so I think it'd be fruitful if we just take a bit of time and just ask God to reveal, is there something I can't even see? Is there something that I've been so deaf to, I don't even see that I need to hear? And then we can confess. We can experience his love and grace. So let me just pray, and then, um, and then we'll worship. Uh, Lord Jesus, I do, I do pray that for us. I pray in light of what we see in, in Scripture, that when we confess, you are faithful to forgive us our sin and that you call us when we feel the prompting of your spirit, when we feel the tug of our conscience that we should turn, we should respond. I just pray for everyone here. I pray you would help us to see 
are there areas of darkness that we haven't wanted to expose? Are there certain things you're calling us to that we've been resisting? Are there sins that, that we really do need to confess? We need to trust you, that you will, you will give us victory over them. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us as a church. I pray for those of us who are people of faith, that you would, you would help us to grow in our faith as we respond to our conscience, as, as we make right moral choices uh, to honor you, to show love to you. But I pray even for those, Lord, who might be here who aren't people of faith and yet are feeling a sense of something tugging, God, would you help them to see that, that that's you? You love them. You want for them to be saved. I pray that they would confess their sin and believe that, Jesus, you died for them so their sin is wiped clean and that as they confess that, they will become children of God. And so, Lord, we, we just pray you do a good work in us and help us to know that it's, that it's out of love and grace that you provoke these things because you want us to know you more. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.